I'd like to open in prayer. Father, I just thank you this morning, Father, that we can be all gathered under your banner in your name. And Father, we honour you in this place this morning. And Lord, I pray, Father, that as your words go forth, Father, they'd be like a two-edged sword, that, Lord, they would divide us under the soul and the spirit, that there would be an awakening, a revelation and a transformation in your people, Lord. Let the spirit of God arise on the inside and take over our lives, Father. I ask that you come and visit us in this way and I welcome you, Holy Spirit, to move in whichever way you feel fit. And I thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. This morning um, I've entitled my message um, Battles in Disarray and I'm pretty sure that most of us um, are like the rest of us and that we can all um, identify with these things. I'd like to welcome our online listeners, our Podbean and our, our... extended family as you might call it you know people are all over the world these days but they're all still part of God's family they're our brothers and sisters and as you join us we welcome you to listen to this this message and what a wonderful message it's going to be it's not one of these feel-good messages I'll tell you that right now but I want you to sit up take notice don't listen to me I'm not the one speaking listen to God amen I believe this is a message from God I believe it's a prophetic word from God And we all need to sit up, take notice, because God's speaking to me as much as anyone else. So um, I just want to start by saying what a wonderful country we live in. Amen? Amen. We do not know what it is like to be persecuted for the sake of the gospel. We do not know what it is like to go around and have to trust God every minute of every day for the things that we require, basic needs. We live in a country where we have relative freedom, even though at the moment we feel like things are coming in a bit and crushing in on all sides and that we're being forced to do things we don't want to do. But we really have no comprehension or idea of what persecution is all about. But believe you me, it's coming. It is coming. And, you know, we need to take notice of countries where even to be a Christian is illegal. It is illegal to worship God. It is illegal to believe in God. It is illegal to read your Bible. But there are people in these countries, places like China, 6% of their population is in the underground church. 6%, 80 million people lay their lives on the ground daily because if they get caught, the punishment is either prison or death. But they are willing to lay down their lives for the sake of the gospel. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. There is no way to the Father except through me. We haven't come to a stage in this country where we are forced to make a life-changing decision as to if we even believe in God, even if we mention God's name, that we could be put to death or persecuted or thrown in prison. We don't know what it's like to suffer. We don't know what it's like to stand up for the sake of the gospel. We don't really have any idea because we've got this she'll be right attitude because we live in such a great country that God has blessed us with. But she ain't going to be right. And it's not going to be hunky-dory because a time is coming when we are going to be outlawed as well. And where are we going to be left? Where's your faith at this moment, in this point in time? I want to ask you this morning because this is serious. This is serious. Are we going to be willing to still follow Jesus if it costs us our lives? I want to ask you that this morning. 
This is ending up a bit more serious than I thought, isn't it? But I want you to go turn to 2 Chronicles 16.9. And it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. We have the mighty God of the universe who is, whose eyes are going backwards and forwards across the face of the earth because... Second Chronicles 16.9 Because he wants to show himself strong on behalf of who? For those whose hearts are following him. That's who he turns up for. He doesn't turn up for the half-hearted ones. He doesn't turn up for those sitting on the, on the sideline or on the fence. He's turning up for those who follow them with all their heart. And, you know, he's searching for you. He wants to show himself strong. He wants to be in your court. He wants to have your back. But he's waiting for you to follow him with a whole heart because his eyes are going backwards and forwards. And rest assured, if you're doing what he's asking, he'll find you. And he'll be in your court and he'll be battling and on your side. Give God first place in your heart for he is looking for ways to help you. The mighty God wants to help you. Little old Sue, he wants to help you. Kath, he wants to help you. He wants to help each individual. You know? And Wayne used to say... If you've got a big need, you need big prayers. And if you've got a small need, then small prayers. But God doesn't care what your need is. He wants to help you. Big, small or indifferent. He wants to help you. In Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. I'm not going to go there, but Joshua asked the Lord a question. This is before they took Jericho. So Joshua is a mighty commander and warrior of an army. And he stands there and he sees a man with a sword in his hand. And he turns to him and he says, Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And in verse 14, God says, No. You know, God is impartial. He said, No, I'm not for you, Joshua. And I'm not for the adversary. I'm not against you, Joshua. And I'm not against the adversary. I am impartial. I am for all men. I am for all men who choose to follow me. That's why the Bible's so full of all the whosoevers. God is not impartial. He's only looking for those who have a heart to follow him. He was not impartial to Rahab, the, the prostitute on the wall of Jericho, because she had a heart for God. She was a sinner. We're all sinners. We're no different to everyone else, you know. But we can be different when we choose to have a heart after God. God chooses those who have a heart after him. So he's impartial. So don't think that, oh, God's not going to help my enemy. Yeah, he'll help his, your enemy if they turn to God and have a heart after God. Because God's for them too. God's for all men. His will is that none would perish. None. Not one. That's his heart. That not one of us would perish. He loves us. That's why he created us. You see, God is neither for us nor against us. That's why it says, whosoever he calls, whosoever believes, whosoever speaks, whoever speaks to the mountain, whosoever, 
what's the key word? Believe and receive. Believe and receive. Believe who and what? Believe God. Have faith in God. Have trust in God. So whosoever can do that, if you have those ingredients that you believe in God, trust in God, have faith in God, then whosoever can have whatever. Amen? This is our God. I want to quickly take you to Mark um, chapter 5. And you all know this story. Um, And it's... I'm just going to read the story, verse 21. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell, this is Jesus, he fell at Jesus' feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. Then we go on to read this. So Jesus went with him. Jesus was happy to help him. This is a Roman. This is a Roman. But whosoever, this man had faith in God. He, this man had faith in Jesus. This man saw the truth and he received it. So Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I only may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. Here we have Jesus. He's been ministering. He comes across. He gets off the boat. He's a, and the, the crowd throngs him. There's a multitude, the Bible says. A multitude of people are there. They're all spectators. They are all spectators. They're all turning up for the show. How many of us are spectators? How many of us are just turning up for a show? We're all just turning up for a show. Most of us are just turning up for a show. There was only two people in a multitude that thronged. The people were that close and that thick that when Jesus asked his disciples, who touched me, when the virtue went out of him, they questioned him as if if we can tell you who touched you. There's so many people, everyone's touching and jostling you. But Jesus said, no, who touched me? Who knew me? Who believed in me? Of all those people, there were two. Jarius... The, the Roman, and the woman with the issue of the blood. They were the only two people that didn't turn up for a spectacle and didn't turn up for a sideshow. They turned up because they believed that Jesus was the son of God. They believed that he could meet their needs and step into their situation and make everything right again. They were the only two that had the courage and the audacity to put their very lives at risk and say, I believe in this man so much that I don't care because if I get caught out here in public, it is death for me, for the woman with the issue of blood. It was treason for the Roman soldier. But no, they didn't care about that. They weren't worried about what everyone around them was going to think. All they knew was if they got to Jesus and if they were able to to touch his garment, that they would receive their miracle. 
How many of you are sitting here today with a miracle needing to be in your lives? I know I have miracles in my life that I'm waiting to see. Are we touching the garment? Are we touching Jesus? Are we just here doing church because that's what we do? Is this Christianity? Is that Jesus, how he wanted us to be? Jesus loves us, but he wants us to love him. He wants us to know him. He wants us to reach out and believe that what he says in his word. There's something about having the physical word of God in your hand. It's physical, it's alive, it's powerful. It's not just words on a page. It's God's word to us today. But do we take it seriously? You know, and then later on in that story down towards the end in verse 39 when he, you know, Jesus is always moving forward. He never stops still. We all know that. You know, even when he's here present in the moment like he was present with, with Jarius, he was on his way to, to go and heal the daughter. But he had time to stop in the present moment when that woman came and touched his garment. Jesus is never too busy. He's always moving forward and he's always looking forward. But he's never too busy for the here and the now moment. He will stop for you. He will make the earth stand still for you. He is there for you. And as they moved on to where the little girl lay dying and everyone had given up hope, don't worry, don't come, she's dead. The bad report comes out, the negativity comes out and the spectators are saying, yeah, she's dead, yeah, great fella, isn't he? You know, the devil will laugh in your face. But the show's not over till the fat lady sings, is it? The show's not over till Jesus turns up. Have you tried Jesus? Have you brought him into the situation yet? Because when he arrived at that house, what was the first thing he did? He kicked out all the unbelievers. He told them all to get out. And he took those that were like-minded, those that believed in him, those that trusted him. And he went in and he performed that miracle. You know, belief and faith are that much intertwined. It's not funny. They're almost inseparable believing and having faith in God and as we read further on in in chapter 6 it goes on and it tells us how Jesus tried to do miracles in his hometown and it says in verse 5 now he could not do no mighty works there except that he had had laid hands on a few sick and seen them recover then he marveled because of their unbelief do you understand if we don't believe If we don't believe Jesus can change something in your life, if you don't believe that, you will not receive that. It says in the Bible in in chapter 6 that Jesus could do no miracles, not because he couldn't do it. He could do whatever he liked. He couldn't do it because his hands were tied because the people had no belief in who he was. They thought, well, you're not Jesus. You're not the son of God. You're just a carpenter's son. That's why a prophet is without honour in his own country. People will sit there and say, who's that? Who's that up the front preaching? Who's she? Who's Pastor Jeff? Who's he? Well, we are called and anointed people of God just like you are called and anointed by God, kings and priests to the Most High God. You have a duty and a service to God. You aren't just a lump sitting on the seat there this morning. You're called here 
for a purpose and a plan. And it's all wrapped up in God. It's not about you. It's not about us. So what about God has called you to do? You know, there was never a day of miracles, but he's the God of miracles, amen? It's not a day of miracles. It's a God of miracles. And that's whom we serve. That's whom we love. That's whom we should know. That's how we should see him as a God of miracles. And we wonder why we battle and we battle and we battle because we do not put God first place in our lives. We don't even begin to try and understand who God is, what he stands for and what he can do for us. You know, I read through Judges and, you know, time and time again the people went away. They did their own thing, into sin and all sorts of things. Then when things got too tough, what did they do? They all turned around, they cried out to God, they repented, cried out to God. God raised up a, a judge, a righteous man, delivered and brought them out of their trouble. Everything was great. He died. So what they do? They all turned back to their old ways. They all went back to their sinful nature. And what did God do? That When they got in trouble again, they all began to turn to God. But they repented, they cried out to God. This is God's heart. Time and time again, God raised up a judge to deliver them. Because they repented. Have you got a repentant heart this morning? Turn from those things. God's willing. He's just there. Just repent. Turn. Ask forgiveness. Do it as often as you need to, but just do it. He's waiting. His hands are tied unless you do something about it. God is waiting for us. He's there ready. He's waiting for us. We're going to turn over to Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 4. And we're going to enter a time, this is just after the judges. Israel had been governed by judges when God raised, that God raised up at crucial times during the nation's history. However, the nation had become morally and religiously and politically corrupt. It had been under the merciless attacks of the Philistines. The temple at Shiloh had been desecrated and the spiritual leadership through Eli and his two sons, the priesthood, was wicked. Samuel had been born into this, young Samuel, a child out of a barren woman who cried out, because she believed that God was the only one that could move over her life. She believed that God was the only one that could change her circumstance. And she cried out to God and she made a vow to God and she said, God, give me a son and I will give him back to you and dedicate him as a priest to your service. I just want to say one thing. Be careful when you make a vow to God. Make sure you keep it. And, you know, when that young boy, this was the apple of her eye, the son she never had when he was two or three, because that's a time of weaning back then, Hannah brought him to the temple and put him under Eli to be raised up as a priest who later became a prophet because God was with him. And the Bible says that none of Samuel's words fell to the ground 
This is a young man being brought up in a corrupt, evil situation. But God was with Samuel because Samuel's heart was after God. So there we have it. So I'm going to start in chapter 4 at verse 1. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped beside Ebenezer and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. You see, this was no ordinary battle. When the Israelites came up against the Philistines, it was always a very hard battle because when they fought the Ammonites or, or the, um, the other tribes that were around at the time, the Moabites and so forth, they were on an equal playing field. They all had the same kind of warfare methods and, and they were living in the same sort of country and all the rest. But the Philistines were closer to the coast and they were like world traders because they traded with the world at that time as it was. So they, it was sort of like having ex access to internet shopping in a way. So like if you want a device or something, go on the in, onto the internet and there's everything that is possibly available to you and you get to choose what, what, what you want. Well, it was a bit like that because they traded with other countries and other nations at that time. They saw what other technology was already out there and being developed. And so they had warfare tactics and implements that were probably superior to what the Israelites had. So they were a mighty force to be reckoned with, the Philistines. But anyway, here we find the Israelites have come up against the Philistines. Verse 2 said, And the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines who killed about 4,000 men. Now that didn't go real well, did it? Here we have God's chosen people up against the Philistines. And we could call this a military disaster in some forms because they not only lost the battle, but they lost 4,000 men. Now, I'm pretty sure you don't have to do too much mathematics to work out that if you lose 4,000 men every time you go into a battle, it, it's not going to last too long. Your army's going to deplete, deplete pretty quickly. So here we have, they've already lost 4,000 people. So we go to verse 3. And when the people, this is the Israelites, had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us. And when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh and they, that they might bring back from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phineas. I should just skip all those words. Were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. So this appears to be a great idea. You know, this reminds me of Balaam and the donkey. Remember how he started off looking like a great bloke because he sought counsel from the Lord? But it's all deception because here you think, oh, well, this is a great idea. Let's go and get the Ark of the Covenant. And, you know, we all come up with great ideas, but this is a God idea. Is it a God idea? That's what's important. So it appears like they come up with this great idea. They're going to go and get the Ark of the Covenant. 
You know, but the Ark of the Covenant represented the throne of God on earth. It was an active symbol of God's presence among the Israelites. And in my Bible, I don't know what your Bible says, but it says that they went to Charlotte, um, that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of the enemy. So it gets back to the hard attitude like Balaam. Their hard attitude was, oh, well, we'll just go and get the old box. They might as well have just gone and got a rabbit's foot or something, a lucky charm, because they were treating this holy, godly instrument as a thing. They didn't even see it, that God was with them. They didn't see that God was in the midst of them when the ark was there. They just saw it as a thing, something to represent, just a lucky charm might as well have been. Go and bring the red Ferrari, go and get something else, who cares? They treated God so lightly, there was no honour, there was no anything there that would glorify God. There was not even an inkling of honouring that God would be among them and that it would be God that would, would give them victory in the battle that they were about to get in. There was none of that. Let's go and get the box. Bring it in. Bring it in. It had become an item, not a holy God, like that lucky charm. You know, their hearts weren't in a place of humility. Their hearts weren't in a place of repentance or putting God first or bowing down or reverencing a holy God or seeking after him. Their hearts were all about them. They were looking good. (coughs) Everything relied on what they were going to do, what they had in mind. Is this starting to sound a little bit familiar? Because I know it's sounding a little bit familiar to me that my plans are first. I'll do it my way. If that fails, then I might turn to God. Is it sounding a little bit familiar? Well, most of the time, don't bother turning to God. Let's just go to a counsellor. Let's just go to someone else. They won't know way more than God would know. But in the hard times, it shows you how much you know God. Do you really know his heart? Do you know what he's capable of? Do you know how much his hand is outstretched toward you today? Do you know that God can change your situation like that? But you need to believe. We need to believe. We need to have God in the midst of our battle. They didn't have God in the midst of their battle. They had a box in the midst of their battle. And then, if that wasn't bad enough, who was carrying the Ark of the Covenant? The two corrupt sons of Eli. They were carrying the box. It just makes it all seem like a joke, doesn't it, when when you look at it like that? The two most corrupt men, the men who are supposed to be serving God every day, day in, day out, 24-7, we're carrying the box. You know, we've forgotten that they were saying, we've got the Ark of the Covenant of God, instead of saying, we need the God of the Ark of the Covenant on our side. They had the box. They didn't have the God of the Ark of the Covenant. They just had the Ark of the Covenant of God. That's how they saw it. 
Check out what's going on in your own lives. Do we, like, do we treat God like that? Do we treat God like a genie? Do we rub the bottle when we need him and expect him to appear and expect him to want to just take everything away and solve our problems? We need honesty. Not with me, with yourself, with God. Because most of us don't change. That's our human nature. But God, through the blood of his son, has given us the ability to change. We are a new creation. Verse 5 says, And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. They were thinking this was a shout of victory. But you know, this was a shout of pride because they were so confident. They were so confident in their own schemes. The ark had gone before them so many times before in the battle of Jericho and before Moses and before Joshua, the ark was taken into battle and they had victory. It's going to be the same. We'll just do what everyone else did, except they didn't reverence it. That was the big deciding factor. There was no reverence. There was no honour. There was no glory given to God. There was no repentance. There was no turning away and realising their wickedness. It was just a prideful, boastful thing. And the Bible says that pride comes before the fall. Pride comes before the fall. If you're proud, if you won't bow to the name of Jesus, if you won't acknowledge Jesus, you will fall. Because God can't do anything with you while you're in that place. It's not about us. How many times do we enter the battle of life under our own steam? Probably. I can't speak for you people. You're all so good and righteous and holy. But I know, probably me, probably 98% of the time, God's not my first port of call. But he should be. He should be. He should be your first protocol. Even if it's only 20% of the time, that's way too much. You need to be 100% of the time to turn to God because he is the only one that can make a change and make a lasting change in you, in your situation, in whatever it is that you're asking for. Only God can make that lasting change. Six, seven, eight, and nine. When the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? When they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. See, this is the enemy. They understood when they heard that shout. They hadn't seen the ark, but when they heard that shout, they said, Uh uh-uh, uh, something's changed here. God's come in. Well, so they thought God had come in into the midst of the battle. So the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us. Who will deliver us from the hand of that, these mighty gods? 
That's mistake number one. They did well recognising that God had come in to the camp. First mistake was, who's gonna, whose hand's going to save us from these mighty gods? God is only one God. He's not multiple gods. See, every other nation worshipped multiple gods. But we don't. We worship one God. One and only true God is who we worship. These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Well, they got that history a bit wrong too because the plagues didn't happen in the wilderness. The plagues happened in Egypt. Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. So again, they started out sounding like they were pretty wise. They recognised that, hey, something's changed here. The game plan's changed. God's come into the situation. And they feared because they knew what God was capable of. They'd seen the many victories that were won by the Israelites because of their God. But, you know, again, it got back to an attitude, heart, hard attitude. They hardened their hearts. They would not humble themselves to the mighty God of heaven and earth. They turned to their own gods. They set themselves against God because they didn't humble themselves. They had an opportunity there. They already acknowledged how great he was. But no, they didn't want to humble themselves. They didn't want to come under the hand of that God. And just that pride rises up again and in it comes like a flood and we rise up and we say, we can do this on our own. I've got great talents and abilities even though God's given them to me. God-given talents and abilities. I can do this on my own. We need God. We need to be submissive. We need to surrender. We need to bow our knee at the throne of grace. You know, they were genuinely afraid, the Philistines. But would they bow? Would they surrender? Would they acknowledge? No, they would not submit. You know, heart submission is an attitude we need to have. You know, we know of God, don't we? I know I know a lot of God, but how, do I know, how much do I know God? That's what it boils down to. How much do I know God? How much do you know God, not know of them? There's a scripture that says, you do well, you think you do well, you know of God, but even the devil knows God. We think we're great that we know about God and everything he does and we can quote scripture after scripture and we know all the stories. Yeah, we know all that. But how much do we know God in your personal life? How much do you know God that you would believe that he will turn up for you? Wherever you are, good or bad times, God's there for you. At the end of the day, we all go back to our old nature, don't we? We all go back to our old man, you know, that default setting I spoke about? We go back there because it's easy. But we also go back there because who do we feed the most? We feed the old man. When you feed the old man, he grows strong. When you get depressed, when you dwell on negativity, when you go over the same old things and nothing's any good and poor old me and nothing's happening and 
woe unto me, and all the rest of it, and it just goes on and on and on like a tumbleweed, gathering moss as it goes along, you're just feeding the old man. So if you feed the old man, he grows strong. If you're not feeding your spirit with the word of God and what God can do for you, you know, God has given me all power and authority. If only I believe, I can speak to mountains. All this, I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above only and not beneath. God is on my side. If we're not feeding our spirit that, our spirit man is diminishing. It's getting small. It's getting weak. A weakling cannot fight a giant. And that's why we always turn to whatever we're feeding the most. So if you're defaulting back to your old nature, you've got a little bit of work to do. You've got to feed that spirit man a little bit more so that he can grow strong and powerful. So that when adversity comes, when tough times come, when you're pressed in on every side and nowhere to turn, you don't crumble, you don't fall because you revert back to the spirit and you dig in and you seek God and you hear from God because God knows you and you know him. And when he speaks to you, you hear his voice because you know his voice. That's what happens. You know, pressure brings purification and purification is God's refining process in you. Some people say, well, if it's tough, then it can't be God's will. I'm doing it tough. I must be out of God's will. But that's not true. That's not always true. God puts us under pressure because he knows there's certain attributes in you that need to be changed and purified, taken out. And pressure causes us to do things. It causes all those impurities to come to the surface. Always said if you can tell a man, if you give him a bit of power, you can tell what he's really like. Give him a bit of authority, see how he starts to treat people. Even though he may have been at the bottom of the ladder at one stage. But it always comes out, the dross always comes out when pressure comes on. You know, sometimes when it's easy, you say, well, it should be easy if this is God's will. Nothing's ever easy, I'll tell you that right now. Nothing is ever easy, even if it is God's will. And often if it is easy and you're just sailing along, cruising along, it's because you're right where the enemy wants you to be. Doing nothing, going nowhere, except to hell. So don't get it wrong. If you're doing it tough, then it's not God's will. That's not correct. God's refining you. He's causing you to dig deep and to turn to him. When we turn to him, he gives us rest. He doesn't take the problem away, but we find that rest and that peace and that quiet spot in God where the winds don't buffet us, where we're not taken off course, where we have a peace and, yes, everything's okay amid the turmoil. That's where God wants to take us. Verse 10 goes on to say that, So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated. The box didn't do them any good. And every man fled to his tent. There was a very great slaughter and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. 30,000. We thought 4,000 was a little bit nasty. Now it's 30,000 foot soldiers dead. Things are going from bad to worse for the Israelites. 
Verse 11, also the ark of God was captured and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Because in, just a little bit further back, God prophesied and told Samuel that in one day he would take both Eli's sons and Eli himself would also be taken. So that prophetic word just came to pass because those two sons were killed. But what I want to ask you this morning that those sons of Eli, they looked the part, didn't they? Oh, by Jove, they looked the part up there in their linen ephod. But, you know, they were robbing God. They were robbing God. You know, these men used to take the meat first, what they wanted of the sacrifice. They'd take it first before the sacrifice was given to God. They were robbing God of all sorts of things. We rob God. Some of us are robbing God with our tithes and offerings. Some of us are struggling a bit financially, so we think, oh, well, we won't go to church and tithe this week. We'll go and have a couple of nights away. We've had a hard time. We deserve a couple of nights in a motel and just rest up a bit. So we'll use our tithes and offerings and we'll just take it there and have a great time, and that's great. No one knows. No one knows. And no, no one knows. We don't know. But I want to tell you, God knows. God knows every single thing. You know, they looked the part. They might have fooled the people. We can look the part. We can fool everyone around us. We can do what we like and people can be sucked in. You know, we're great actors, us human beings, aren't we? Look at it on TV. Like, you know, I can cry at the drop of a hat. Give me a good movie to watch and the actors are so it's so lifelike and you just feel like you're in there on the moment and it's you and everything's happening and before you know it I'm a total mess we're so good at acting we can fool one another we can fool each other we only let people see what we want them to see but God is not fooled we're fools for thinking that we can fool God I can fool Jeff and Julianne and I can fool Dave and I can fool whoever I want, but you cannot fool God because he sees your very heart. The Bible says he doesn't look at the outward appearance, but he looks at the heart. He's looking at our hearts. Remember, his eyes are going to and fro, looking for those whose hearts are after him. Are we bargaining with God? Are we pleading with God to come into our situation? And God, if you do this, I can do that. And that's not the right attitude. God's not looking for that. That's not looking for God and seeking God. That's trying to manipulate God. So here they are in this linen ephod. But you know, the priests of the day weren't supposed to be in a simple linen garnet garment the garment the priesthood had to wear that garment was made for those who who did sacri- who did service at the sacrificial ceremonies they had a linen garment but the priests were to wear an ephod that was elaborate it was made of fine linen it was a four piece garment that went over the head and it was like a breastplate and it was woven with gold and and blue and scarlet threads. It had precious stones on it that were set in gold setting. 
that had names of the whole tribes of Israel. It was a priestly garment. It was a garment worthy of God. It was a garment that was worthy to come into the throne room of God, not just slap on a bit of old white linen and look the part. That didn't look the part at all. They were robbing God. How are we dressing today? How are we dressing in our attitudes? That's what I mean. I don't mean your physical dress. How are we dressing with our attitudes? What's going on in your heart? How are we robbing God? How are we deceiving each other? But mostly, how are you deceiving yourself? How are you deceiving God? You know, we need to reassess our heart attitudes. We need to reassess our habits. What are you reading? What are you drinking? What are you talking about? Who are you associating with? This is how we honour God. When we don't do the things God wants us to do, we are robbing him. We are robbing him. And you know the sad thing at the end of all this story, in the next, over there it says that one of the sons of Eli's, one of his, um, Phineas' wife had a child. And so great was that she'd named the child Ichabod, which means the glory of God has departed. That's what's, missing in our, that's what's missing in our lives. The glory of God is not in your situation. That's why you're not getting an answer. It has departed. It has become a box. It has become something so commonplace. We don't have to rely on God in this country. We don't have to trust God. We just turn up and think everything's hunky-dory. We've left God out of it. We don't know God. Come on. Think about it. God's calling you. I know the Holy Spirit is at work in some of your hearts right now. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's not about whether we sin or not. Because God has made a way for each of us, hasn't he? Through the blood of Jesus Christ, all we have to do is repent, turn away and move on. God has forgiven us all our sins if we repent and turn away. God's not expecting us to be perfect. He's just expecting us to have that right attitude in our heart that we want to please him, that we want to serve him, that we want to know him. Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. So if you're sitting there thinking you're doing pretty all right, thinking, well, yeah, that could apply to a few other people, but, you know, I'm doing okay. You're wrong. There's none righteous. We all fall short of the mark. We all fall short of God's expectation. But he's not worried about that. He loves you anyway. And he wants to help you. Our battles are in disarray because the God of miracles is absent. And just on winding up, I just want to read you a bit of a a prophecy for the End Time Church by Kenneth Hagen. And it was given in 1980. I'm not going to read all of it, just the first two paragraphs before I wind up. Jules, could you come to the keys, please, and just play something softly? Prophets by Kenneth E. Hagen, 1980. The end of the age is coming upon this generation. The powers of darkness, the forces of evil are rampant as never before 
and they will be increased in intensity and velocity. And even many Christians will see and look upon these things and say, oh, there is no use. Throw up their hands in futility and say, well, I guess it's all over. We'll just have to hold on and pray for Jesus to come shortly because the devil is about to take over everything. That's sounding familiar. But thus says the Lord, in this day I am searching the body of Christ to enlist soldiers. I'll raise up a new band, I'll raise up a new army who will know how to pray against the powers of darkness and the light will dispel the darkness and the truth will set men free and prayer will break the bonds that bind men's hearts and spirits and bodies. Hallelujah. God says he's going to raise us up. He's looking for an army. You're not here by accident. You're going to be part of this army if you choose to be because God's wanting to use us to dispel the powers of darkness that are encroaching in every area of every person's life. And we need to know God and we need to know our authority. And this morning, I just want to say, I said at the start, this isn't a feel-good sermon. But I want to tell you this morning, this is a wake-up call. God is giving you a wake-up call. God is wanting you to take this seriously. The time is growing short. The adversary, the devil, is roaming around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's on a rampage and he's out there to kill you. He's out there to knock you out. He's out there to do a number on you. He's not mucking around. We need to get serious with God. And this morning, whether you stay where you are or whether you come to the altar, I want to invite you to come to the altar. I want you to come and kneel before God. I want you to get that hard attitude. Don't be like the Philistines who had a hard heart. Don't be like the Israelites who thought they knew it all and could do it on their own. I want you to come to the, to the threshold this, this, this morning and kneel before the throne of God. And I want you to do business with God. I'm not going to pray for any of you this morning. Because the time is coming when we need to be able to take care of ourselves. We can't hold on to the coattails of our pastors forever. We can't turn to our best friend forever for prayer support. We can't rely on the ladies group that meets every week to be there to hold us up every time something falls down. You have the power and the authority. God says it's time for the church to arise. God says it's time for you to take your place. God says, come right now, whatever it is. And I know there's people out there who have children who are strained, children that are not coming to God, family members that they are praying for that aren't budging. There's marriages in disarray. There's other things going on. There's health issues that aren't. Are taking a hold of our bodies and aren't letting go. And it's because God is not in the camp. God is not in the camp this morning. God says, bring me in, bring me in, bring me in. Come before his throne. Kneel there and bring with a repentant heart. You know your situation, financial. You know you need another job. You know something has to change. You know you can't keep going the way it's going. But God says, come. 
It's time for you to take your place. It's time to arise. It's time to take up the power and the authority that I've given you. It's time to walk in dominion, in kingdom authority. God says, my kingdom come, my will be done. The time is growing short. You haven't got time to play. You haven't got time to sit there. You haven't got time to worry about what the person next to you was thinking. Can I do that? You need to kneel, bow. Father, ask for a spirit of repentance right now. Holy Ghost, come and move. Lord, move on the people. Move on their hearts, Father. Lord, open their eyes and remove the scales. Lord, let them see you. Lord, they need you more than they know. Father, I pray, just Holy Ghost, unleash a wave right now. A wave of your presence. A rave of repentance to wash over, Lord. Lord, just that they would see and that they would know that you are God. A cry in their heart, Father, to come and take over. Lord, I pray this. I pray this, Lord, that they would come to know the Holy Spirit, that they would cry out and say, Holy Spirit, show me. Take me and use me. Do what you need to do with me. Turn my life upside down if that's what it takes. Father, help their unbelief. Help their unbelief this morning. It's time, says God. It's time, it's time, it's time, it's time. It's time to arise and shine for the glory of the Lord is upon you. Hallelujah. The glory of the Lord is upon you. simple decision, God says. It's just one decision. A simple decision. Bow. Repent. And live. Live.